I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Vegan Diaries podcast. If you are new here, my name is Liz Douglas. I am your host and I just wanted to quickly recap the podcast message for anybody who is a new listener. On the show, we talk about all things vegan lifestyle. I was inspired to create the podcast because when I first went vegan a few years ago, it wasn't the practical elements of going vegan that I found hard. It was the social side of it. So I felt quite disconnected and a little bit lost, I guess, and wanting to meet people who are also living in this way. So that was really the motivation behind starting the podcast. I hope that it's a safe space for you and that you can meet and connect with some new interesting people who are also living a plant-based lifestyle. Now on to today's guest. Typically I interview people who are vegan themselves, but I am starting to branch out a little more and I'm considering interviewing people who are what I would call vegan allies. So those are people who are not vegan themselves, but are very supportive of the movement and will be able to offer us a valuable piece of information or a story that will be helpful for us on our vegan journeys and lives. So today I'm speaking to a friend of mine, Steph Giorgio. I know Steph through Instagram, which seems to be how I meet every single person in my life these days. But anyway, Steph is best known um, as Mind Food Steph on Instagram and TikTok. She's a psychologist and she works a lot with uh, binge eating and also restrictive behaviors around food. So she does a lot of work, I guess, trying to shed some of the stigma that's around eating disorders and what she calls eating disturbances, which is not a full-blown eating disorder, but perhaps when somebody has a complicated relationship with food through either, you know, a history of dieting, as I'm sure so many of us have experienced. But yeah, Steph, is full of knowledge. She is such a motivated person and I just find her really inspiring to be around. And I think that you are also going to feel that energy from her. She is such a hustler. She works for herself. She sees multiple clients a week. She is studying at uni. She has got multiple degrees and she is just always pushing herself to reach that next level version of herself. So I know that if you're anything like me, you're going to really enjoy this episode. It's a little bit of personal development and a lot of strategies on how we can build a better relationship with food and guess shed some of that diet culture crap that's probably built up over the years in all of us. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. Steph has lots of practical little daily takeaways that we can implement to improve our relationship with food. And yeah, here it is, my chat with Mind Food Steph. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I must say it's my first time on a vegan-inspired podcast. Uh, well, you know, we met maybe a year ago and you've been so open-minded about veganism and supportive. And I think that you have so much value to add in the food psychology side of things. So you're a vegan ally in my mind. <laughs> Thank you. That. Um, for those who don't know you, are you able to give a little introduction to yourself and your background? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Steph and I go by the Instagram social media handle Mind 
food stuff because I am a psychologist and do a lot of work around eating disorders and balance and wellness and started my Instagram page as a food blogging page because I absolutely love food. I went through my own struggle with an eating disorder in my teenage years throughout my mid-20s and through that journey knew I wanted to be a psych. I wanted to help people who were struggling in the same way. I did, and throughout that journey, went through a lot of dieting, yo-yo, up and down, binge eating, you name it. And it was, yeah, a really tough time, but it has made me who I am today. Mm. So apart from the social media, I'm a published author. I've published a book, Food Jail, Breaking the Bars of Binge Eating, which is a self-help book uh, that, yeah, is available. And, yeah, I love speaking on podcasts, motivating, encouraging, and just getting to know different different people in the space. So thanks for having me here today. Um, I've read your book. I love your book. It was really helpful for me. And yeah, thank you for joining us. If anybody hasn't checked out the book, it's definitely worth a read because I think binge eating is so common for young women, but there's something that there's a lot of stigma and shame, I would say, around it. And you really go out of your way to, I guess, relieve that for people. And it's really nice. So appreciate that. I wanted to maybe get started on that note, actually, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey with food. You mentioned obviously yo-yo dieting and struggling with that um, healthy balance. Could you tell the audience a bit about that? Yeah, definitely. And I'll probably just let your audience know as well. I'm not vegan, but I absolutely love vegan food. I embrace all different types of food and balance. And I guess where it all started was in my teenage years, growing up in this diet culture of thin is beautiful and image is is everything. And it was just in the magazines back then and we used to have Dolly, Cleo, all those mags. And I just developed this belief that I needed to lose weight in order to be happy. And growing up in an ethnic (laughs) Greek family as well, we're very big. There's a lot of culture around eating and eating uh, with family and friends, but then there's also a big diet culture around it as well. So I grew up in the low fat era. I didn't realize that everything in my fridge was low fat. That's just what my mum bought and I just thought it was normal. And it does happen in families where you sort of learn that behavior through your mum or through different um, family members. And I started dieting in high school and exercising more heavily, just restricted food groups. But the trigger moment for me was I started to do some modeling and I did a photo shoot in my bathers and the photographer said, he just stopped and looked at me and looked up and down and said, you know, did you eat before you came? You look really bloated. And I was like, yeah, I had a bread roll or sandwiches or I can't remember something like that. And he said, yeah, you should never eat before a shoot. You look really bloated. And from that moment, I cut bread out. I used to love bread. And that's actually where my dieting started because I thought if I want to make it as a model, I need to lose weight, cut all these foods out. I'm not tall, so I need to at least be skinny and that's where it started. And then because I had this really strong restrictive pattern, the minute I would eat something outside of my diet rules, so we have these rules, don't eat after dark, uh, don't eat carbs after a certain time, only black coffee. When you break those rules, you feel like you've done something wrong and that's where food guilt comes in. And then I would think, well, I've stuffed everything up. I'm just going to eat a whole block of chocolate. I'll start on Monday. I'll start my diet tomorrow. And then that facilitated the binge, which then, you know, perpetuated the restriction the next day. Mm. It's such a common story and it's that cycle that it's like, you know, there's a trigger, then you take an action and then you feel ashamed or guilty. And then it's sort of like, it's a self-perpetuating horrible cycle, I guess, that so many of us fall into. But why do you think that women in particular are drawn to diet culture and this behavior? Like, is it just, as you said, having that influence of the external environment? Like, you know, you mentioned low fat when you were growing up. I remember my mom doing Weight Watchers and stuff. And I think back now and I'm like, this is so sad for my mom as well. You know, like she would go and they would go like doing a weigh-in like at like at a Weight Watchers and, you know, and her having her food. Like when we grew up, it was like, you know, mom had stuff that she would eat and it'd be like, you know, please don't eat that. That Like that's my diet food. You can have anything else, but this one's for me. And it would be like, you know, chewing gum or like low fat, I don't know, 
it was like terrible stuff. It was like probably like sachets of like pancake mix and stuff that were from like the Weight Watchers stuff. Anyway, I guess where I'm going with this is how is it in culture and society that you think that women are like take this on more than men? Yeah, and it is. And it's more frequently seen in women, but I also think women are more inclined to report it, whereas men might struggle with different types of eating concerns such as muscle dysmorphia. Mm women, it's more announced and pronounced as well. And one in four women will struggle with some sort of eating disturbance in their lifetime. And when it comes to culture, it's so interesting because it is very culture specific. You don't see eating disorders in certain cultures where it's big is beautiful and curvier is is beautiful. And yeah, you don't see that type of eating disturbance there. Whereas in the Western ideal, there's this whole we internalize the thin Western ideal, which is the idea that being thin is beautiful. It's pushed on us in magazines. It's all on social media. And now look, there is a massive move- movement of body positivity and body acceptance, which is fantastic mm. to see. But I believe Australian culture is very high on looking a certain way and working hard and hustling and eating clean and it's almost there's this spectrum where eating clean has also turned into this orthorexic type of disorder where it's not even about being skinny but it's about being pure Mm. organic and it's just so interesting how eating disorders come in different shapes and sizes but I do think culturally the thin ideal in the western society which is maintained by social media magazines is one of the leading causes in increasing someone's risk to developing an eating related concern. Yeah. And for yourself as well, how did you overcome, I guess, that eating disorder or disordered eating pattern that you experienced? Yeah. And I think like with any sort of mental health concern, do we ever really overcome it? I think we learn to manage it very effectively I've overcome it absolutely. However, there's always a voice that will pop in every now and then that will trigger old thoughts, feelings, beliefs in our subconscious. Mm. So, for example, I may have treated someone who's overcome an eating disorder, but then a friend might start talking about how they're dieting or losing weight, and that can trigger something in you that says, oh, my gosh, should I be doing that? So for me, honestly, the way I overcame it was managing it day to day, hour to hour. It's There's not a day where you wake up and say, yeah, I'm cured now. I don't have an eating disorder. It's about your decisions, not your destination. It's about making that decision in that moment. I'm going to eat this donut. I'll be okay with that. I'm going to make that choice. I'm, I'm not going to cho- feel guilty because I'm going to choose to eat this. See, mm. guilt comes when it doesn't feel like it was your choice. So, overcoming it, if you're listening to this and you're someone going through your struggles, it really is about the decisions you make day to day, moment to moment, rather than the decisions. Yeah. Okay. So it's something that you just learn to manage rather than like, you know, it's not like a quick fix and it's like, okay, I saw a psychologist one time and now like I'm cured of like ever having a negative thought about food again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's always going to be something if it's not your weight going to be your wrinkles if it's not your wrinkles it's going to be you know saggy arms like there's always we can't win the race against time and I think women that's not your way it's your age so we need to find how we can love and accept ourselves to the best of our abilities across our lifespan Mm, no that's yeah that's true it's even if you were Yeah. Even if you have the perfect body one day and you wake up, you'll still find something to pick at. You know what I mean? I'm sure even the most beautiful women in the world have some features that they don't like about themselves. So no, that's really interesting. You touched on orthorexia before, and it's funny because, you know, thinking back, reflecting on that low fat culture that we grew up with, and now we're in this sort of overall health and wellness space. And it's not really about, well, I think that the communication is no longer about being thin, but it certainly is about being that girl, being the person person who's having their green smoothie, the person who's going to the gym every day. You know what I'm saying? So where does that become unhealthy as well? Yes. Great point. The reason I laughed is because I had a wellness friend uh, reach out who I absolutely love and admire. And they said, can you record your morning routine and send it to us? I said, yeah, but I'm not that girl that wakes up at 5am and does 
<laughs> yoga, you know, and I'm not having the greens every day and doing all that. But I felt that pressure to have some really good morning routine for it. So that girl, yes, definitely trending on, on social media. And to go to your question, when does it become unhealthy? So orthorexia, uh, for those who don't know, is the preoccupation with eating clean or pure or organic. It's not about doing it to be thin or doing it to lose weight. It's more about this cleanliness, this purity. It's eating as wholesome as possible, which is impossible actually. And it was actually discovered by Steve Bratman when he was treating anorexic patients. They all you know, started eating again, but he found that they would only eat super clean foods uh, and not branch out of that, which in its own self, it becomes unhealthy because when you're eating so clean to the point of depriving yourself of vital nutrients and minerals, it can actually have an adverse effect on your health. It can affect your social health because you don't eat out because you're so nervous about processed foods. Uh, It affects your financial health because spending money on organic food and clean food is so expensive. It can affect your relationships because you're so rigid in how you eat and your food rules. And people will go to great lengths to meet those food rules. Do you know what I mean? Rather than being flexible around Mm. food, it can have a number of profound effects. And at the end of the day, if you're like, do I have an eating disorder? Is there something wrong with me? It's the impact that it has on your life. So if it's affecting your day-to-day function, if it's affecting your relationship, if it's affecting your finances, that is when you know, hey, maybe this might start to be a little bit of an issue and just be mindful about the reason you are doing something. And if you are struggling with your eating but you do want to be vegan or you do want to be paleo or keto, whatever it is, sometimes it just may not be in line with your needs at that point in time and that's when it may be a problem. Mm. I've heard of people who have, or rather I know that people who have had an eating disorder who have then used veganism as an excuse to avoid eating in public or to eat certain foods. Is that something that you have seen as a psychologist? Yeah. So look, not just vegan, but any dietary or lifestyle plan, vegan, keto, paleo, can be a mask for an eating disorder, absolutely, because it gives a socially acceptable reason to not eat a certain food or not eat at a particular place or the person might choose where to eat or the restaurant. So eating in public, if there's no vegan options, oh, okay, I just won't eat. It's, It's easier sometimes. So, yes, a specific way of eating, whether it's vegan or any other way, can absolutely mm. mask it in eating an eating disorder. Mm. And um, how do we define, like, I can't remember the exact term in your book, but I think you call it an eating disturbance. Is that what you call it versus an eating disorder? Is that what the language you used? Yes. 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 So where would you say you can draw the line between like an eating disturbance and an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. And this is a great question because a lot of women may not meet the quote-unquote clinical criteria of an eating disorder. And an eating disorder happens when it comes at the cost of your day-to-day functioning and it has a clinically significant impact on an area of your life. So, for example, your occupational functioning. You can't concentrate at work. All you think about is food. Your uh, work performance is influenced because you don't have the energy because you're not eating properly or you're having to run to the bathroom to purge. So if an area of your life is significantly impacted, your relationships, your social life, your occupation by your eating behavior, and it's been going on for a specific amount of time, different eating disorders have different lengths, Hmm. that's when it may be a disorder. Whereas I believe it happens on a spectrum and we all have a little bit of eating disturbance. We can't help it. It's, you know, our society has brought us up to, to be Calorie conscious, even when I go to a workout class, I hate when they say, yes, let's burn off last night's calories. Let's burn off the drinks you had. Well, that's making me feel guilty about what I wanted and chose to eat at that time. If you have a preoccupation around food and exercise, that interferes with your life a little bit, but not to the point of, you know, fully affecting your life. It might be a bit of disturbance, 
But if it's really affecting your day-to-day functioning, it could be an eating disorder. So in summary, the severity of it, how often it's happening and the impact is what dictates where it sits along the spectrum. Mm. And potentially like the duration as well. Like I think, for example, yeah, when I was getting ready to get married, I did intermittent fasting and that became very unhealthy from a mindset perspective very quickly for me because I started pushing myself to see how long I could go without eating. And so it would get to like two o'clock in the afternoon and I still hadn't eaten. And then I'd be like, oh, I'll see if I can wait until dinner. And then I would eat like almost an entire day's worth of food in like the space of like a couple of hours, feel really sick and over full, feel guilty about it. And then do the same thing the next day where I wouldn't eat for most of the day. And that was in the lead up to my wedding. Cause I had a very specific goal. And then once, you know, I got married, I'd reached, you know, my goal weight quotation marks. I then went through a period where I was eating a lot. Like I was eating, like I gained weight quite quickly after the wedding because I was like, Oh my God, I can eat anything I want now. Like all the foods that I have been avoiding, like donuts and junk food and all of this stuff. I'm like, I went pretty crazy at it for a while. And it it honestly took, I think about four months before I settled back into a normal eating routine and not feeling like funny about food. You know what I mean? Not obsessing over it, but it really occupied most of my thoughts for a while. So I was like, okay, I feel like that was an eating disturbance. You know what I mean? Cause it lasted like a few months, but I, I did go back to like a regular way of eat, like, you know, a normal way for me, a balanced way for me after a few months. But yeah, maybe the duration yeah. is also a factor. And isn't that interesting that the minute you started eating regularly again, the eating disturbance started to disappear. And this mm. is what people don't realize. I think, no, but if I just, if I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. If I lose the weight, then I won't think like this anymore. And they go further down restriction, but restriction leads to binge. Whereas the more you introduce food flexibility and food variety, the eating disturbance will start to dissolve and your mood will increase and you'll feel happier. And when you're happier, you'll make more sort of mentally healthier choices too. Mm. One thing that I think people don't talk about that much with this kind of stuff is that all of the effort and time and energy that you spend thinking about food can get channeled into some other part of your life that's much more fulfilling and stimulating, which is really nice as well. I wanted to ask, why do you think it is important for us to have a good relationship with food and our bodies? And I think that's such a subjective question because what someone's good might mean might mean another you know a good for someone else so I think it's important to work on your relationship with food and body image wherever you're at if it's something you just struggle with because it has such a profound influence on everything if you feel super insecure about your body you know that could be affect your intimate relationships, your self-esteem, going out, wearing certain clothes. And if you don't work on that, you're always going to be stuck in the belief that it's your body that needs to change in order to feel happier. But unless you work on that, it's the opposite because confidence, it's a vibe, not a body weight, shape or size. And unless you work on that and choose to step outside, I need to lose weight or I need to improve my you know, diet, then you won't realize that actually losing weight isn't the answer to everything or having the perfect body isn't the answer to everything. And when I ask people, look, when you're at your thinnest, how did you feel? It's always horrible, miserable. And I'll say, when did you feel your best? And do you know what's interesting? A lot of people say to me, when I was pregnant, I'm like, wow, okay. Really? Yep. When wow. I was when I was pregnant and I was like, okay, tell me about it because I could eat, I ate what I wanted without guilt. My body felt beautiful. You know, I was, it's almost like I was pregnant. So it was socially acceptable to, to eat. And to gain a little bit of weight, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. No one says, oh, you're eating for two when you're not pregnant. So it's, (laughs) It's this permission and with permission comes freedom. It's the same with going on a holiday. Why do we feel so happy on a holiday? because we give ourselves permission to eat and be free. But then when we get back, everyone gets the holiday blues because, oh, I've got to start my diet on Monday. Yeah, it's so true. It's also like that with other things of life, I think, too. You know, you don't really savor the little things as much. So when you're in your routine, you know, 
And when you're on holiday, you're like, oh, everything's wonderful. The sky suddenly looks bluer and, you know, the sun is warmer. And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting kind of phenomenon, I guess. For people who are maybe in this binge restrict cycle at the moment, say, you know, like I was describing with my experience with intermittent fasting, somebody who's maybe overeating in the evening, restricting throughout the day, what, what advice would you give them and what can they do right now that might make them feel better? Yeah. The first, look, the first thing is just know, forgive yourself. It is not your fault. We've been programmed by society, by family, by mothers, by sisters, brothers, cousins, whoever it might be, to this has come from somewhere. Mm. And awareness precedes change. So the first thing you want to do is work on your awareness. Ask yourself the questions. Why am I eating this way? What's my ultimate goal? What is it that I want? And once you sort of start to explore that, then say, well, what's my goal? Am I going to count my macros until I'm 80? You know, (laughs) am I... Do I want people to talk about how skinny I was at my funeral? When does this actually end? And that's usually the biggest eye-opener for a lot of the people I work with is when does this actually end? Like women in their 50s, you know, they're still on this this journey and they're still trying to lose weight. That is the most depressing thought. (laughs) I know, but, you know, we're almost there. Like I'm I'm 34 and – yeah, I'm 31. Yeah. And you, and if you're listening to this, ask yourself, when when will it actually end? When will I wake up and be like, hey, I'm just going to go live my life and eat what I want and do what I want because I'm okay with who I am? And the answer is it ends when you choose it to end. Hmm. And, Steph, what would you say, though, if people say, okay, I would love for this all to be over. I'm sick of living in this awful cycle. I'm sick of feeling bad about myself. I'm sick of feeling ashamed. But you don't understand when I allow myself to eat whatever I want, I'm going to gorge. I'm going to eat all the junk food. I'm going to gain so much weight. And, you know, my partner's not going to find me attractive anymore. And, you know, the world's going to fall apart, basically, if I stop restricting. What would you say to that? Hmm. Yes, while that may all be possible, are these thoughts or facts? How do you know you're going to gain all this weight? How do you know that your partner's not going to be attracted to you? What you do know is the way you're living now is not making you happy. And even if someone does lose a significant amount of weight, the effort and energy to sustain that it drains your life, okay, because 95% of people who lose weight will gain it within a five-year period and the ones who keep it off are the ones who adhere to an extremely rigid and strict lifestyle. And therapy, and I advise someone who's going through that, speak to a professional who has experience in eating-related concerns or a psychologist uh, and they will help you work through those thoughts because it's, it's two things. It's not just the behaviour that you need to work on, it's the cognitions because what drives the behaviour of the thoughts, it's people think I need to just stop eating donuts because I gorge and I binge on them. So people think they need to stop the trigger or stop the behaviour, but it's actually the thoughts you need to change because why can some people eat a donut and be cool with it and other people eat a donut and it causes this inner emotional turmoil? And the reason is because the thoughts When someone eats a donut, they're like, yum, cool. I'm going to go watch TV now. Someone else eats a donut and they think, I've screwed up. I'm in a binge. I can't stick to anything. I'm a failure. I'm always in a beer this way. That leads them to feel guilt. The guilt leads them to binge more or, you know, not do anything with it, with, with what's happening. So a psychologist will help you address those thoughts that keep you in the cycle whilst addressing your behavior as well. Um, I think. The advice to see a professional is so important. You know, sometimes like you do need that tailored advice or somebody to just talk through those that thought process with you. Is it the thought spiral then that really helps or rather is causing this whole pattern to continue? 
it's the rather than just saying, oh, I ate a donut. That's okay. I just will, you know, whatever, have something lighter at dinner. It's the, oh, I ate a donut. Therefore I have no willpower. Therefore I lack self-control. It's that thought that is causing the, yeah. Yes. And it will always be linked down to a core belief about yourself, whether Mm. it's not feeling enough, whether it's not feeling worthy, whether it's not feeling, um, good enough, it'll always link back to something. So people try to address the symptoms, whether it's certain foods that trigger you or certain situations, but it's coming from a deeper cause and it's usually driven by a deeply embedded belief about yourself. It's never about the donut. It's what what does eating that donut say about you? And for a lot of people, it'll be, it says, I have no control, I'm a failure, therefore I'm unworthy. Hmm. So it's about going deep and that's what we do. We go deep to understand where this came from, to heal past issues with food that interview with the present, yeah? So while you may have overcome the past and moved through it, the past can interview with the present when a present-day trigger activates an emotion or a memory that had that same emotional belief behind it. Mm. You mentioned core beliefs. How can we uncover what our core beliefs are about ourselves? Yeah, great question. To get more, I guess, insightful and aware about yourself is start to write things down when you're feeling really upset and overwhelmed. So when you're feeling upset or triggered or pissed off, get a piece of paper and write down what was the trigger. I'll call this is called the ABC. What was the activating event? What triggered me? Okay. Yeah eating a a donut. Okay. What were my beliefs? What was the B? Oh, I suck. I can't stick to anything. I thought it was vegan and it wasn't. How am I ever going to be a true vegan if I don't know what real vegan food is? Can't stick to anything. It's not good enough. And then write down the C, which is the cognitions or sorry, C is the consequences. So the feelings, how do I feel as a consequence? I feel guilty, ashamed, upset. And Every time you write this down, when you feel a strong emotion, you're going to keep uncovering beliefs, beliefs, and you'll start to notice a trend or a pattern. So when my friend didn't text me back, it came down to they don't care about me, which means I'm not good enough. And then when I started to eat these foods and I felt like a failure, it came down to I wasn't good enough. And you'll start to see patterns in your thinking. Mm. So to uncover your core beliefs, write down your thoughts and your beliefs when you feel a strong emotion. And that'll start to enable you to see patterns in your thinking. Thank you. That's really helpful. And do you see any recurring core beliefs with people who do experience eating disorders? Is it that I'm not good enough? Like is a wanting to self-sabotage or yeah, what do you think it is? There's a couple that we see the I'm not good enough is a big one. Mm. And sometimes we can overcompensate with that. If we haven't felt good enough in our relationships, we may try to overcompensate in our eating or we may try to overcompensate in our career and, and be super high performers because my relationship doesn't make me feel good enough. My career, I'm going to make that, you know, meet that need. It's all about unmet needs, right, that it all comes down to. Also beliefs around not feeling worthy. Uh, it could be beliefs around feeling defective if you were told as a child there was something wrong with you, you weren't good enough. Or even growing up, we're told when we're crying or we're upset, oh, don't cry, just have a lolly, just have some candy. We're conditioned from a young age to self-soothe with food. Mm. So when we feel upset and we go to the ice cream, we don't realise that's a conditioned response. We just feel we have no self-control and therefore we're not good enough. If we drill it down... So they're the main ones. Mm. It's so interesting, Steph. I find that, and this is probably common across other people as well, but I find that I will often turn to food 
in the afternoon when I'm feeling a bit of resistance with my work day where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. I just like, or like a bit can't be bothered. Just go to the cupboard, kind of literally just open the cupboard. Like it's not coming from a place of hunger. It's coming from a place of like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this other task or whatever that I've got on my plate. I'll just go like procrastinate basically. Like I procrastinate or like I'm self-soothing in a way. Like it's like, oh, I'm feeling a bit of discomfort because I don't want to do this task or whatever it is. And I'll go and do that. And I use my phone in the same way. I've realized as well. So I don't know if you see this too, but I'll just, I'm in this very bad habit of just picking up and my thumb just goes to Instagram or TikTok. (laughs) 30 minutes can go by and I'm like, what just happened? So I kind of feel like it's coming from a similar, I know what you're saying when you say unmet needs, you know, it's like, I'm feeling like I need some comfort. So I'm going to these either food or I don't know, distraction to soothe myself. Yes. Mm. Yes. And I want to normalize that it's okay to emotionally eat right? It's coming from a a licensed profession. Diet culture demonizes emotional eating because they make money off you. It's a $2 billion a year, more money than that industry. So they make money off your vulnerability and off making you believe something is wrong because you want ice cream and you feel sad. Now, having said that, emotional eating is a completely healthy, normal coping strategy, as long as it's not your only coping strategy. Okay. It's your perspective perception of the action that leads to the inner turmoil. So if you're like, why do I keep going to the fridge? There's something wrong with me. Don't eat that. Blah, blah, blah. That's going to make it more intense than saying, I'm bored and I don't want to work, so I'm going to get a snack and that's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's fine. In the afternoon, that three o'clock, I call that my diet hour because between three and four, I just seem to just break down. I'm just so tired and I have something to nourish my body. And when I work with eating disorders, I'll say, let's call that your recharge hour. That's the hour you have your smoothie. That's the hour you have something that's going to nourish your body and make it a part of your day and a part of your routine. And then it's not some procrastinating, you know, um, bad thing that you perceive. It's something that's actually useful. So just remember your words are your world, how you call it. I'm taking a break or I don't want to do that task and that's okay. So I'm going to do some procrastination and then come back to it. Mm. So it's about committing yourself and the language you use around your behavior has a big impact on how much it affects you. So if I wanted to find a way to soothe myself, which was not procrastination by dawdling on my phone or by eating food that in all honesty, like if I was enjoying it, I think it would be different, but I don't actually like the food that much, even when I eat it, when I'm procrastinating, because I know that I'm just buying time before I have to complete the task or whatever it is that I'm putting off. Yes. How can we just push through or not push through, but like, how can we deal with discomfort without necessarily emotionally eating or distracting ourselves with some other like pleasurable kind of activity, like being on your phone? Yeah, really good question. We're not, it's not fun anymore. We're not enjoying it. So I think the first thing is, is awareness. So when you notice you've got the urge to splurge or you've got the urge to procrastinate on your phone, call it out, call it out and say, okay, I'm noticing I'm doing this right now. What is really going on for me right now? So number one is forgive yourself. It's fine. Everyone procrastinates. Number two is what do I really need right now? Is it a break? Is it permission to do this task tomorrow? Is it to go outside? What do I really need? And usually it's a physical response because when we feel heightened, when our fight or flight response is triggered, we need something physical to calm our sympathetic nervous system. And physical is eating. Physical is Mm. tapping on our phone. So try to engage in something physical that's not, you know, as Disruptive is going on the front. Go outside, take a breather, try to do some breathing, or at least try to delay the urge from the action. So try to delay. I really want to go to the kitchen. Go for a walk and see if you can delay it for a little bit. Because the more we can sit with, hey, I didn't need to snack right then and there. Oh, that's okay. I can sit with that. So try to delay it or use another physical strategy and then come back to it as well. The other thing is if you do have a task you really need to do, I love the five-minute rule. So tell yourself, I'll do it for five minutes and then that's it. I'm not going to do it anymore. 
whether it's going to the gym, whether it's doing a work task, the five-minute rule is great because momentum actually leads to motivation. So if you get momentum through telling yourself you do it for five minutes, that's going to build your momentum, which is going to build your motivation. People think it's the other way around. I need to build motivation and then that will lead to momentum, but it's not the case at all. So if it's something you need to do, say five-minute rule, then I can go eat all the twisties and chill and do whatever I want. Or if you notice you need to go to the fridge, just stop, do something physical, whether it's breathing, walking, um, playing with a pet, whatever it is, if you're from working from home, and then ask yourself, am I really hungry right now? And if the answer is yes, have a proper meal, don't have a snack. Mm. I think that's such good advice um, because you're right. There are other ways that we can soothe ourselves, which is like f- doing something physical. And and it's funny, funny that you say that because I hadn't really thought, oh, it's a physical discomfort that you're feeling. Like it's, it's an emotional response to a task I don't want to do, but I'm physically feeling that discomfort in my body and I'm looking for something, yeah, to soothe myself with in some way. So yeah, maybe next time I might just do like – I don't know, like just jumping jacks or something just like for like a minute or something just to like shake it out a little, get that energy moving again. Yeah. And if you're working from home, it is challenging. You need, usually you just need a break. Procrastination is a mental vacay. It's a break. So try to actually take a break. Cause I know working from home, it can be a little bit tricky to get outside and you get sort of caught up in being behind your computer. So just make sure you're taking breaks as well. Yeah, that's a really good point too. I think if I was in an office, I wouldn't have thought twice about going out and getting a coffee for 20 minutes, but at home, you're just sort of sitting behind your computer and feeling like you need to be on active all the time on Teams and everything. So that's <laughs> no, a great point. Um, I just wanted to finish up with some questions around confidence, Steph, if that's all right. Like you are such a confident person and you aren't afraid to wear whatever you want. You put yourself out there. You've done videos on Instagram and on TikTok being like, you know, it's normal to have belly rolls or whatever, you know, videos of you like lying down or photos rather. How do you, like, what advice do you have for people who are wanting to get really comfortable with themselves and to feel great the way they look right now? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I I think I'll start with some quotes with this is hating it doesn't change it. Hating your belly isn't going to make it go away. Hating a crop top isn't going to make it easier to wear it. It's going to make it harder. And the thing is, you don't have to love it. I do have a little bit of ambivalence around the whole self, love, love your roles, love your underarm hair, all that. I do, <laughs> I think it puts a lot of pressure on people to just love themselves. That's hard shit, you know, whereas I'm like, you don't have to love it yet, but you don't have to hate it either. So let's sort of acknowledge I don't love it yet, but I'm going to move in the direction despite my discomfort. And what it does is it actually disputes and challenges the belief with action. So when I wear a crop to the gym and people don't say how disgusting I look or that, you know, she looks weird or she looks fat, all the things your head tells you, because remember your thoughts aren't facts, it actually validates that no one cares I'm wearing a crop. No one cares. The only person who cares is me. So you have to lead with action. Wear that crop. Put that photo on the internet. And you might be surprised. People will compliment you. You're like, oh, okay. So my thoughts were just thoughts and not facts. So for anyone wanting to get more confident is it starts with priming your mind. So I have these little post-it notes that I used to put all around my mirrors. And my, I have a me. I'm just showing. Um, <laughs> what does that one say? Right now. I am strong and sexy. Love uh, my body is beautiful. My body is strong. And the thing is having little messages like this subconsciously retrains your brain because every time you look in the mirror and you say, I look fat, my stomach is gross, you're defaulting your thinking pattern to that style of thinking. Whereas if you have little post-it notes that's going to rewire your brain to think, no, my body is strong, my body is capable, that's going to become your new default way of thinking. So the first thing I'd recommend to people is start to put little cues around your house, little post-it notes that you can see. Your wallpaper, say, you know, I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm amazing. Because the thing is, the brain looks for information to validate your beliefs. If you believe you're fat and disgusting, your brain is going to look for information to validate that 
such as fat in the mirror, you know, or when your clothes don't look the, the greatest, whereas if you have beliefs that you are strong, you are capable, your brain's going to look for information to validate that. So it's from the inside out. So mm-hmm. one is work on your thoughts, your cognitions. The second is work on your behavior. So have a little exposure hierarchy. A, a lady I was coaching said, you know, and she was a mate, she was freaking out. She was a bridesmaid and it was one of those really silky tight dresses and she's a curvy woman. She's had children. She was freaking out and we did some brain retraining and every time her brain tried to say, oh, you're, you know, you're the fat one in the bridal party, she's like, no, I'm curvy, I'm beautiful, I'm fine. And she had the best night. She retrained her brain. She got so many compliments and she said confidence is a vibe. It's not a weight, shape or size. And she wore the dress and she said, in six months, I'm going to go to the beach and wear bathers and actually play with my kids because she's watching from the sideline. She's watching her partner play with the kids. And I said, when you go to the beach, do you look at other people who are overweight and think, oh, my God, how are they playing with their kids or whatever? She said, no, not at all. She goes, I wish I could be that. But you can. So number two is lead with behavior. Do the things you're scared to do, even though it's just, you know, even though it's uncomfortable because doing it is going to challenge the belief that you can't do it. Mm. It's such great advice, Steph. And I think it's like you don't have to ask permission from society to live your life. You know, just give yourself permission to enjoy your body, enjoy your life. Yes. Yes. In small doses, if you need to. Yeah, take it step by step. And I guess a lot of this as well probably comes from, which we hadn't really touched on at the start, but there's such fat phobia, I think, still in society. Like we're getting better, but I mean, mm. what would you say to that? Like as well, like just of our culture being fat phobic. Yeah. And look, it's always going to be out there, whether it's fat phobic, transphobic. There's always going, the the problem is thinking we can change everyone else, right? Here's the thing. You can be perfect. You can be beautiful. You can be skinny. You can be all this. But we don't get to choose what other people think about us. We don't get to choose that. Yes, we may influence it. Like if I go out dressed, you know, in a big, I don't know, unicorn outfit, that (laughs) (laughs) that might influence how people respond to me. But you don't actually get to choose what people think about you. So do what you want anyway because people aren't going to change. We need to change. Mm, That's so powerful. It reminds me, I can't remember what the quote was exactly, but it's like there's two quotes it reminds me of. And one of them was, it's basically like, it's not a quote, it's an idea. It's, It's basically other people's opinions of you has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And um, I always found that one really empowering, probably more in terms of putting myself out there, like as a confidence thing. Cause I was like, actually, if somebody says something crappy about you, because you put yourself out there, that's just a reflection on them. It's actually got nothing to do with you. And you'll probably never find out either. So um, that's kind of empowering. (laughs) You're never going to know what people think about you. So do it anyway. And remember other people's thoughts are not facts either. And look, I get everyone's like, don't care what other people think, just do what makes you happy. That's hard because we we all have an ingrained belief, an ingrained need to be liked. We are always going to care what people think. But my advice is care what people think, but do it anyway. Yeah. And so care about what they think to a point rather. Yeah. Like you can care, but you don't have to let that caring stop you from doing what it is you want to do. Do you ever get scared when you're posting things on social media, Steph? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what it is? I think it's the body um, picks only because there's this whole, I guess lots of professionals are getting on social media, doctors, psychologists, um, you know, surgeons, and there is this, I guess, you know, this pressure to be professional and put yourself in a certain way. But I do keep my influencer page very influencery and I don't, you know, obviously promote my psychological services on there, but I believe if I'm putting something out there that is going to help at least one person and it's not for a sexual, I guess, purpose, I'm okay with it because I wear bathers too. I'm a human, you know, we all do. So I think it comes down to your intention and your purpose Mm. of what you're posting. Yeah. Um, just a few final kind of takeaways. 
if there were some actionable things that people could do after listening to this, can we sum it up for them? I feel like you've covered a lot already, but if we could sum it up, quick things to improve your relationship with food, what would they be? Say three or four tips. Yes. Yes. Number one, I think you just take a deep dive into yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your beliefs. So when you feel I'm upset, write it down, write down your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, start to develop awareness into your thoughts rather than just your behavior, because every behavior comes from thoughts. The second thing is think about what does a healthy relationship with food look like for me? Is it that I go out and I don't feel anxious? Is it that I, you know, can introduce more balance into my life because it's different for everyone. And start to work towards that. Ask how you can bridge the gap. And then third is use some exposure techniques and speak to a licensed professional to help retrain your brain around thoughts that are distressing for you. Put up some post-it notes of body positivity, if that is is something you want to work on. And wear the outfit. You know, you only live once. Your weight is not going to be written on your tombstone. People aren't going to be talking about how skinny or your size at your funeral. So live your life now. That's amazing. Thank you, Steph. And if anybody would like to work with you, do you work one-on-one as well with clients regarding like their relationship with food or just as a psychologist as well? Yes, for sure. So you can find me on social media at mindfoodsteph, also my website, mindfoodsteph.com. And if anyone wants to grab a copy of my book, it's a great introduction on where to start. It's Food Jail, Breaking the Bars of Binge Eating. If you go to my website and you'd like a discount, just enter the code MINDFOOD20. And for all of your followers, Liz, they can get a discount on that as well. But yeah, feel free to reach out if you've got any questions. I'd be happy to answer them. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Steph. It's been great. Thank you, Liz. Love your work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.